0: You're listening to Secret Handshake, the podcast that covers the movies that help you identify your friends and maybe make a few more along the way. Coming up, spine number seven, 1985's The Legend of Billy Jean, possibly the greatest teen movie of all time with Pat Benatar, Helen Slater, Christian Slater, no relation, Keith Gordon, and one of the greatest mall chases you'll ever see in a movie. Cody.
1: Yes, sir.
2: Fair is fair! Fair is fair! Fair is fair.
1: She was a fugitive to the police.
2: A sensation to the media. And a symbol of courage to young people everywhere. To fight for what's right. Where is she? Everywhere. The Legend of Billie
0: Jean. Directed by Matthew Robbins. Featuring Pat Benatar's hit song, Invincible.
1: Starts Friday at a theater near you. Consult your local listings.
0: back to secret handshake. I'm your host Jacob Knight and joining me as always are Cody Bouchard, yes sir, and Martinonlygloves.com Carlson.
2: <laughs> Happy to be here.
0: Happy to be here. Guys, we had another little sabbatical in between episodes, uh, but this week we're back to talk about 1985's The Legend of Billy Jean, our 7th pick, our 7th spine number as it were. And I'm going to ask you right off the bat. Martin, I know, because this was the first movie that we didn't all watch together. I watched it with Martin, and then you watched it last night, Cody. Now, Martin, first time viewing? First time. Cody, I know there was some debate with yourself going in, is that you couldn't remember if you had seen it or not. When you watched it last night, did you make a determination? I had
1: 100% seen bits and pieces. I actually... I feel like I've seen it all the way through previously, but I, I definitely didn't remember whole spans of it. Right. So watching it, like, especially at the ending, I was like, oh, I definitely remember that. And especially in the beginning, I definitely remember that. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. When you when you told me that you possibly hadn't seen it before, I was a little surprised just because it's such a Texas movie. Yeah. And you being the only Nost- Austin native on this uh, podcast, I was like, oh, shit, it would be a treat to show you this for the first time. But now I'm glad that, you yeah. know, you hadn't
1: seen it. And I, I learned last night while uh doing some research on it as I was watching it, like they filmed it all practically in corpus. Yeah, no, it's
0: all it's entirely in corpus. Yeah, and that
1: radio much. station, like C one oh one or whatever it is, that was like an actual radio station at the time.
0: Oh wow, I didn't know that much.
1: Yeah. Nice. Little trivia bit. Little, yep, little yep. local lore. Oh, Cody. With the the local color. Just gotta, you know, you take the Boy, out of Texas. You can't take the Texas out of this movie. Can't take the boy out of the boy. <laughs> so, Martin,
0: is being your first viewing of this, run it down. What'd you think?
2: I mean, I, I told you when we watched it. I really liked this movie. Um, it was surprising. Like, the, I think the way you put it, I don't want to jump the gun on anything, where it's just like you. Really don't know what you're in for when it starts. And it just kind of starts revealing itself, like what it's about, like scene by scene. Um one of those films, it was like I was mad at myself for not having seen earlier. Cause it just hit so many things I like. I love like the awesome Cynthia score, I love the the time period, I love the costumes, I love Keith Gordon, <laughs> just and young Christian Slater, just and Peter Coyote, just all these people showing up, and it's just a constant like like, a fun vibe. and There's also, like, some pretty heavy themes they're dealing with as well. Just There's a lot to, like, to mine, I think, from this movie. And just in the end, it was fucking enjoyable. Yeah, well, like, 100%. it's like an entertaining movie. <laughs> yeah, it just rips. Like, yeah. you
0: can watch it and you could... I think it's impossible to kind of disconnect uh, from the themes of the movie entirely, and that's something I wanted to get into later, especially from, like, a modern audience's perspective because this is almost, like in a weird way the one of the first like me too type movies if yeah, you think about it too. yeah it's you a comment i kept making to martin while we were watching it cody is that i can't believe it hasn't been remade because or at least updated for like a modern audience because it deals with so much female empowerment which yeah. obviously has taken over our cultural landscape uh, in the last few years. But Cody, what did you think revisiting this for the first time in however many years and filling in those blanks?
1: I enjoyed it a lot. It's an entertaining movie. And like Martin said, when it, it, when it starts off, like you really don't have an idea of where it's going. Well, I mean a little bit because like right off the bat, he, she hops on the bike with baby Slater right on the highway, just getting harassed by these three dudes in that uh, convertible challenger. (laughs) I was just thinking to myself, I was kind of putting myself in, uh, Christian Slater's shoes, the whole point, and how, like, both at the uh, simultaneously, like, pissed off and also, like, terrified I would be because he was younger. All these guys are bigger than him, right? They very, very clearly have like sexual intentions for his sister. Like, they're walking up and, oh, yeah, licking her milkshake and grabbing a tail off of his thing. And it was very stressful just in those moments. But, um,
0: well, and also, let's get this out of the way, like, early on, Helen Slater in this movie total smoke show. So I wouldn't want to be <laughs> she's on her, her brother. Yeah, distractingly
2: like, so. Yeah, distractingly
0: hot in this movie. Like the early moments where they go swim in the lake and yeah. she's in that tiny bikini, you're kind of like It's not like, a bikini.
1: It's a it's a crop top beater and a and panties. It's it's not yeah. even a swimsuit.
2: Oh well, yeah, it's white trash bikini. Yeah. The I'm I grew up in Indiana. It's, we call it Hoosier hot. And it's like the girl you <laughs> like the first girl you had a crush on in middle school, who grew, who grew up in a trailer park? Yeah, and the first girl to get boobs like that—that's that whole scene is that. Yeah, like that was twelve-year-old Martin at Custer Baker Middle School. Yeah, just ogling the nipples. Absolutely, but I mean, like, that's
0: also kind of one of the central themes to the movie is the fact that, like, this is a girl from the other side of the tracks, quote unquote, uh-huh. uh, who lives in the trailer park with her white trash, and also, let's get this thing out of the way up front possibly gay brother because i feel like they really zero in on the fact that like as you kind of point out the these older boys who like run them down and end up even beating the shit out of him after they steal his scooter which is like the main kind of let's say dramatic turn that the whole movie hinges on they're real big into like calling him a faggot. Like yeah. that's that's what their main insult is for him. And like the way that Matthew Robbins, the director, kind of frames Christian Slater in this is this diminutive, skinny kid who gets really offended when that word is thrown out, but not in the way that we're, we're how we get offended to where we're like, well, that's just not a word you should use. Right. Or that they're like questioning his masculinity. It's almost like they're we know what you are. Yeah. Like this is me possibly reading too much into it, but like,
1: and in the end of the film, he ends up in his sister's clothes.
0: Yeah. He ends up, I was going to go there, but yeah, sorry. By the, yeah. By the end, like they visually represent that he's like wearing his sister's clothes and like honestly hiding behind his sister the whole time. And she very strongly like Billy Jean stands up for him. As soon as that word is tossed out, almost like she knows, or she suspects.
1: I honestly didn't pick up on a lot of that. I thought he was just a younger brother, and she was the uh, central powerhouse in the home. The mom looks to her for uh, yeah. for affirmation of opinions no, of the that's guy true. that's picking the mom up. Yeah, so I, I did, could
0: totally be reading way too much into this, but I've also And he's got a poster in his room of times.
1: the, uh, you know, the, the, what did the poster say? The the, the fresh slopes of what are the clear, it was, yeah all they're, he they're alluding to, do- to the, the model being cleanly shaven, but...
0: Yeah, all, but all he wants to go to is it, it's like a, a girl skiing, and it's like the fresh slopes of Vermont. Fresh slopes, that's what. Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. I I think it's hard to tell. I mean, I think it's interesting to like read it as like in a queer perspective, like to do a a reading of the film. It seems not intentional to me because I think it is a, a, a of the time that word was used often. Oh, at, sure. in eighties films, and it was yeah. is usually to younger guys by the bully. It's used like so much, it's like like Monster Squad. You know and they well, say. Well, Christine,
0: it. we're going to talk about uh, Keith Gordon a lot during this episode, and look, one of his greatest roles, Christine. Yeah, the word faggot is thrown out as the main insult towards him, and he's clearly not gay. So, like, yeah, you could be right, and
2: it could just be a product
0: of the times. But like, I think it's interesting to kind of look at, at yeah. through that
2: prism. Absolutely, and I think like you, like you're both saying like they're then having him in the dress. Like you are like, wow. Like even if it wasn't intentional, it's being worked out in the film, like in the background. Yeah, You know, it's like subconsciously. And
0: maybe even that was a stronger theme. Because that's the the only thing I take issue with is saying that in terms of saying it's a product of the time is because this movie is so it has such a hard progressive bent in terms of the themes that it's pursuing, especially in terms of like a feminist empowerment. Um, And as I kept saying to you, and and you kind of said at the top, is that the movie takes a minute to to really reveal what it's about. But that's one of the things I love about it is that with each act, it just narrows and narrows and narrows and becomes just a bit more myopic until you realize you're like, oh, this isn't just an outlaw story. It's not just a teen movie. It's not just a kids on the run story. It's about creating a feminist icon for kids to find their own voice through And I think if you apply the idea that maybe Christian Slater's character is gay, it's also like she's a beacon for anybody who's ever felt like repressed or or oppressed by like these domineering patriarchal forces in society that end up trying to rape her. Because that's the other thing is this whole movie hinges on a bike getting stolen and then a guy essentially trying to sexually assault Billie Jean.
1: A a bike being stolen by a guy that definitely wants to sexually assault Billie Jean and then his father sexually assaulting her in an upstairs loft area of a
0: beach store. Yeah, that's the thing is that, well, that was the thing me and Martin were talking about is that, and you kind of hit on with saying it was shot so much in Corpus Christi on location, Mm -hmm. is it gets into that idea of like Corpus Christi and Port Aransas as like this beach town, this kind of shitty white trash beach. It's not attractive.
1: Um, yeah, it's not attractive at all. Because she's the, from the wrong side of the tracks, but the right side of the tracks is the guy that owns, like, a glorified bait shop. Yeah, who he
0: owns, like, okay, so I didn't grow up in Texas. I grew up on the East Coast, and I spent summers in Southern Delaware. Yeah. Uh, that's where I went I to the I hear beach. the beaches are beautiful. Yeah, the beaches are beautiful, but they're kind of like Port Aransas. They're a little trashy, or maybe Jersey's probably a better... Virginia Beach kind of shit. Yeah, Virginia yeah. Beach is oh definitely that's... one-to-one, or like Myrtle Beach, oh, yeah. to where there's Woof. a tackiness to it. And he, the main antagonist, like he runs a... It's almost like a souvenir shop. Like If you were yeah. to go and just be like... You would get one of those tacky shirts that's basically like... Well, it's got to be five o'clock somewhere, and it's like margaritas clinking yeah. or like Corona Jimmy bottles. It yeah, 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 exactly. It also makes sense.
1: to why he was able to get like so much paraphernalia printed up for glorifying Billy Jean. Or yeah,
2: well, because he's an entrepreneur. Like he is that like shitty low level entrepreneur who's like always looking to make a buck. And so yeah. it's like the weird like like you're talking Jacob about themes of the film and like the fact that he gets to like own her image. Yeah. You know, he gets this image, this, like, very sexualized image of an underage girl and is making, like, thousands of dollars. It really, it's instantly really gross.
0: starts Instantly starts printing T-shirts. And even po- there's that poster because his son, early on in the film, when they're basically chasing them down, they Hubie? confront them. Yeah, Hubie. Hubie Pyatt, like, <laughs> confronts them at the lake. And takes a picture of her in that bikini that well, it's we his, mentioned. His friend
1: that has a camera is doing. Oh yeah.
0: That. So, but he uses that photo. Yeah. His dad uses that photo to print a poster of this underage girl, basically in this bikini, coming out that Very just says Billy Jean. Jean on it. Yeah.
1: yeah. Also, his friend, budding photographer. Great, great shot. Yeah, really good shot. That guy's got, got a future.
2: That's some Farrah Fawcett shit. Yeah. Which, which is what it seems like. Very yeah. much that era of like the famous posters that like every guy. It would have on their wall.
1: I'd be shocked if they didn't actually make that as a merchandise piece, like the production company. You probably get it now.
0: (laughs) I would feel awkward with that on my wall because like Billie Jean's supposed to be 16, 17. That's the thing is I even want to qualify. Like I'm like Helen Slater, total smoke show, by the way, uh, she was of age when she made this yes, movie, so I'm, so I'm not ogling an underage girl, even though she basically plays one on TV. Um, but, you know, the the general vibe of this movie is that, or I guess the, the plot we should say is that, you know, there's this confrontation uh, of, of uh, Billie Jean's little brother, Jinx, or is it Binks? Binx. Binx, that's it. His motor scooter is vandalized by Hubie Pyatt and these bullies, and she goes to uh, Mr. Pyatt at at this fucking seashell shop or whatever the fuck it is, <laughs> and is like, "I basically want six hundred bucks, six hundred we... and eight dollars and some change." Yeah, to she what goes, we're owed. She goes with a quote, fair is fair, and and is like, "I this is what you're owed. I don't want anything more." And he, at first, it seems like he's going to agree to do it. Takes her up into the loft of this shop, as Cody points out. And then basically says, I'm like, we're going to do a payment plan. You're going to come back and fuck me for the money.
1: Here's $50 now. We can do an installment plan. And next time you come back, it'll be a little more each time. Real gross. And like... That is the slimiest. I felt so gross watching that like i wanted to jump through the screen and just murder that man
0: yeah he felt like
1: he'd done it before
0: yeah well a he'd done it before but there was a weird like powers booth vibe yes like powers Booth and deadwood like to where he's i thought
1: that and i also thought uh what was this the dallas back in the day was that it the
0: yeah so oh, opera oh like jr yeah like exactly some, yeah this real sleazy low rent like uh, seashell shop owner who's just like i have enough power to basically do this to the girl on the other side of the tracks right she pushes him away and then binks ends up grabbing the gun from the register and
1: shooting him well he told him the gun was empty
0: no <laughs> oh, that's that's true and because the the you know Mr. Piatt was essentially going to say well just he she because Hubie walks in on it he says call the police you know tell them these white trash kids are essentially robbing the shop yep. and instead you know Banks points the gun at him pulls the trigger thinking it's not loaded and shoots Mr. Pyatt in the shoulder and now they're outlaws they're on the run and Billie Jean Banks and their two buddies. One of which is Lisa Simpson. Yardley Smith. Yardley Smith. They're outlaws now because they're all trailer park kids who like they even point out that like Yardley Smith's mom like hits her yeah. and they dream of like like their big dream is basically Binx's. He's like wouldn't Vermont be fucking cool? And it's like, oh, okay.
1: Doesn't Billie Jean have knowledge of Vermont? I had she been there before?
0: Yeah. She had been there and he dreamed of it. And like, how did that- she get there?
1: I don't know, I that was one of the... A troop with dad, maybe he died skiing and yeah, like maybe, didn't have life insurance and he was the breadwinner, so they ended up in the trailer park. But
0: that's kind of the thing, is there's a, there's a couple moments in this that always made me wonder if there was a longer cut or if there was stuff in the script that maybe, like some shading that had gotten cut out. And that's also with like Vink's sexuality, it feels like hinted at, but maybe like it was lost on the editing floor or rewrites or something because like, yeah... How did Billie Jean go to Vermont? Like, I don't know.
1: The only thing that I've read of being edited out was a uh, a dance sequence that they filmed. And I'm guessing it takes place in that like underground warehouse. Yeah. where She's getting switched around from transport to transport. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because she, she like comes down. There's people on the second level and the first level. And she like just kind of stands in the center of the lower level and like turns and faces camera, and It's like, we're about to bust out into a move. I could. And then it cuts to the next scene
2: yeah I think the Vermont thing is just it's definitely a um, it's a it's a Western cliche where there's the classic thing of like someday we're gonna go to there's a better life. There's a better life. It's like, it's like we're going to go to, or it's like, or it's, or it even we'll make, make it even, the
1: Colorado territory. Or, or they'll
2: even say, or, you know, it's the classic thing in point break. It's like, we're going go to Mexico, buddy. We drinking margaritas by the seashore. It's like that mentality of a beautiful place or, after all the shit. Or
0: like how point break ends with the Australian yeah. giant wave to where it's like, here's this mythical thing in our minds. And, and we're here in the weird way. Like both of these movies realize it because not to jump ahead too far, they do end up getting to Vermont at the end. Yeah. Um, which is a nice little uh, kind of ending or cap to the movie. But in between, the more interesting thing... Ha- this is one of those movies to where like the destination is not the point of it. Yeah. It's the entire journey. Because as they go, they're pursued by a detective played by Peter Coyote, who's fucking awesome in this movie. Great casting. Who kind of knows that something's up the entire time. Like, this guy's probably a sleazeball. These kids might be telling the truth. Well, he's also
1: kicking himself because she came to him with yeah. the original problem, and he brushed her off.
0: Yeah, he. she came to him basically being like, hey, they trashed my brother's motor scooter. Like, I'm not trying to be a dick or anything, but we just really want to get this paid for. Can you escort us back? And he's like, this isn't really a thing that we take care of. But now, yeah, like you said, he's kicking himself and he tries to set up these sting operations that Mr. Pyatt basically keeps interfering <laughs> with, which leads to this awesome chase in a mall at one point that's all
2: set to fucking Billy Idol.
1: You would have loved it, too. Oh, God.
2: That's so gross. It is. Yeah, we were talking about that when we watched it. The, the the Coyote character is really interesting because I think in this film we're more generic. Like, if I were asked to write the script, it would be, at first, I don't believe them, but the, we know he's a good guy and he's slowly learning that these people are okay. It's like, no, right off the bat. Kind of like a Joseph Campbell type thing. Yeah, like the, just the, the, class, the classic like hero's journey. But for him, just like you have those characters where it's like the good adult who slowly is like, oh, I was wrong. And this one's yeah. like, no, he's pretty much on board from the beginning. That's like not the point. I guess this is actually a good segue because the huge
0: theme of the film actually hinges on Billie Jean seeing a movie for the first time because at a certain point, um they get to let's say the richer parts of texas yeah. which is uh, right outside of da it's almost like an outside of dallas
1: suburb probably houston
0: although yeah houston because geographically that yeah. would pan out more um but they
1: also make it seem like that's right down the road and it is not
0: it is not at all it's like a three-hour drive when they're so, doing the
1: whole herd jumping from transport to transport to transport thing it feels like it's supposed to be bigger than it is, maybe. But realistically, they're in like a six block radius of like that small town. She's just trying to find her brother.
0: Yeah. And all along the way, though, she's starting to get recognized by basically the local kids. Uh,
1: and um, what's the word? Emulated?
0: Emu- well, yeah. Emulated to a certain degree. That doesn't mean set on fire. Right? What's that's, set on fire? That's immolated. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I didn't
1: want to say that so right. You're right.
2: Like being copied and, and you start to see her movement. She becomes an icon. She becomes an icon, and she and, barely
1: uh, slips the cops from the the mansion, and she's running, and she's going down the street, and car pulls up, and she looks in, kind of confused, and you think it's going to be like uh, her brother and whoever in a car, or like an the,
0: adult trying to ca- like catch her and like yeah, turn her in. Cuts
1: over, and it's another teenage girl that looks like she could be her little sister. She's like, Come yeah. on, get in.
0: It almost becomes this weird underground railroad of like teenagers who just <laughs> want to do nothing but help, yeah, the, the you know, Billie Jean out, and. Yeah. The title becomes more and more clear to you, or like literal, because she becomes a legend. And then for me, the most interesting part of the movie happens when she meets Keith Gordon's character, who's a rich kid all by himself, who's the son of the attorney general, Dean by Stockwell.
3: Dean Stockwell. God bless people,
0: him. Who just shows up, just like he's on a break from shooting Blue Velvet, and it's like, yeah, or Quantum whatever. Leap. Or Quantum Leap. And, you know, but Keith Gordon's basically this rich kid in this mansion all by himself. He's a film student and, you know, Billy Jean is instantly intrigued by him, but is more intrigued by what he's watching, which is Carl Dreyer's The Passion of Joan of Arc. And the entire movie hinges on the idea of Billy Jean seeing Joan of Arc, having never known about Joan of Arc, which I'm not going to lie. The first time I watched this I thought it was kind of weird. I was like, "Ah, here's this teenage girl, maybe 17, 18 or whatever, has never, you know, basically heard of Joan of Arc in history class." But then I thought Oh,
1: she went through the Texas public educational system. May I also point to out you're wearing a, a Texas Chainsaw Massacre hat that has the, the Texas flag colors and, in fact, the emblem of Texas on on the front-facing portion of it.
0: Yeah, they they might not have gotten to Carl Dreher. In, in, uh,
2: Toby Hooper never
0: saw that. Toby Hooper. <laughs> I can agree. Toby Hooper was too busy doing assing. <laughs> but, like... Um, You know, she sees this movie and she becomes absolutely entranced after all the kids jump in the pool and she keeps watching it and cuts her hair off to look like Joan of Arc because, and this is kind of what I want to cover with you guys the most is that it becomes a movie about an icon realizing they're an icon in the moment and what the power of that means the power and, and the responsibility. Me, yeah, and the responsibility.
1: So she me. keeps checking the members of her party not to steal or whatever. Even when they do do it, she you know chastises right. them for it. And she, anytime and- she has to steal, yeah, she leaves IOUs.
0: Yeah. And she's even stealing minor things. Like they steal like walkie a toy talkies. gun and walkie
1: talkies. Her from brother the took toy the, store to the, get away. the toy gun and he didn't tell them about it. She yeah. found out about it in the parking garage when he pulled it on the cop.
0: And she chastises him for right. it, basically saying, you're going to get yourself like killed essentially. And, and almost, almost does. does. But like, I think that that's such a fascinating idea for a movie about like what happens in the moment when you realize you have the power to inspire people What does that mean? And what burden does the person take on as they continue down their journey?
1: I think a good way to sum it up would be with great power. Oh, fuck. Comes great responsibility.
2: (laughs) And and now instead of Stan Lee, I was going to go Nico Kazantzakis and go like fucking um, Last Temptation of Christ, which is like an interesting look at like a neurotic view of Jesus and this person who's like a human who's like, shit, I have a lot of power. Oh wow, I'd never actually
0: made the connection between the two movies before. That's actually really good. But
2: there's a similar scene where he does one of his first speeches and they go off and start breaking shit.
0: He's like, yeah. no, 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 I
2: said love. I said love. And it's this idea of like his words have power. Yeah. Now I don't think this film This film's interesting because it doesn't show so much the dark side of having a following. You know, I feel like it's inspiring. All these people are like, it's more about wow, I you know That
1: beach crowd is way too morally aware like it's, yeah it's not all just like drunk teenagers just there yeah, port- be, because they can be
0: for a porter Aransas beach crowd they're they're strangely self-checking themselves
1: yeah they're all like we just we just bought <laughs> thousands of dollars worth of merchandise but you know what she had a slightly ambiguous point of yelling at this dude for the 608 dollars. let's burn all of our freshly purchased shit of this icon that we just got behind but i mean that's the thing is that it she
0: the symbol is there and it becomes strengthened because like, there's even that amazing scene. The most fantastical part of the movie is uh, she gets stopped by basically a pack of kids who say, you know, a kid on their street is essentially being abused by his shitty dad. And she marches into there and like through the sheer power of her own will and her own, recognition like
1: I, i'd also like to to point out though in in this scene she is still terrified of the father like she's she's jump sure. jerking at every word yeah like, but she still recognizes like she's she is a true she's strong enough to walk in but she also she's recognizes exemplifying the bravery because bravery doesn't exist without fear and she's working her way through her own fear in that scene
0: yeah no totally and like but even her image like causes this drunken bastard of a father to basically stand down because he's like partially
1: her image, partially he looks out the window and sees the crowd, the the mob of preteens that will jump him if they don't. Yeah. I think it's,
2: I think it's definitely both, but I think it's a lot of it is the fact that like it's me, but it's the movement behind me. Like I am like, I am the edge of the spear. Right. At the head of the sphere, it's like everything behind me is like I have this and you can't stop us. Cause I think that's an interesting thing for me. Like I had assumed a lot about this film before I saw it. like I, I saw the, the cover and I'd heard things. I thought it was like a she was a badass who fought people because looking at the image on the cover, like she looks like a badass, like kind of brawler. She looks like punk rock Joan of Arc. It, it, it's seriously, and I imagine her like getting in like bad like bad kung fu scenes, like beating ass. But the fact is like she never fights anybody. No. It's completely like, her her energy. All of the violence
0: she is Lady is, Jesus uh, well and she all of the violence is basically what she tries to suppress by telling Binks to put the the toy gun away yeah. and then everything violent that happens to them is by people who don't believe in her or reject the power of her own image and her own femininity to a certain point because um, you have like again, the arrogance of like the piles, essentially they always fuck it up. They always end up fucking up every situation where she has complete control. And again, that's really interesting and frankly feels ahead of its time because it's like, what if this woman caused these pig headed men to lose their shit so much that all they want to do is destroy her? As she, like, rallies an entire movement behind her. Like, you can't, like, watching, the, this had to be, like, the 20th or so time that I've seen this movie. And that still, like, moves me beyond words because I'm like, they're, they tapped into something that,
2: I don't know, just felt 40 years ahead of its time.
1: Masa, go ahead.
2: I think that if this film were darker, she would die at the end. I think there she would it, become it, a true martyr. She would be a real martyr. It would be her
1: effigy the burned. It would be her. Yeah, yeah. It would
2: be her. No, I think it would be. I mean, they wanted to go all the way to the Joan of Arc thing. It would be like the only way for the movement to continue is for her to be, like you said, be a martyr. Um, well, because kids start shaving their heads, yep. um, like
1: they start turning themselves in, saying that they are her.
0: Yeah, they exactly. It's the the whole like I am Billie Jean thing. It's kind of like the thing that happened with John Dillinger. So many people would yep. protect Dillinger. Like in his the peak of his days, where he had his own like kind of underground system of, of shelters that he hid out in, and even when you know it came he came close to getting caught a lot of the time, he would have people who would turn themselves in in his place because they didn't want his legend to die,
2: and this is something very similar to that. And Jesse James as well. I mean, it definitely is. I mean, it is an outlaw film, like you said, right? It's yeah. Like, it's that kind of you have a lot of the tropes from. True outlaw narratives like from, from the past, like you said, Dillinger and Jesse James, where they became public figures. Who now Dillinger and Jesse James were murderers, like while she is not, but they were like representing, like, you have like depression era Dillinger basically saying, Let's take some money back from the fucking bigwigs. Same with Jesse James, it's like this Confederate guy, he's like, Let's take back what was taken from us. Yeah, and you I know, mean, and I, representing and again, something.
0: Well, and again, this entire movie hinges on a you know, relatively rich guy denying them a six hundred dollar bill for a motor scooter so there is a class element to this narrative the entire time of what if this girl rose up from the trailer park essentially and became the next social movement
1: so i had a thought as we were talking about this just now and i was realizing that um all of the people that follow her and everybody that's, like, real. And she, she is on the side of right. Like, they didn't do anything wrong in the situation. Everything that's been done wrong was either by the, the older boys, the son of... Pyle? Yeah. And uh, and the adults, with the exception of the sheriff. So, I feel like maybe one of the messages they're also trying to say is, like, the older generation needs to listen to the younger generation. Like, maybe they have better oh, ideas. Oh,
2: yeah, 100%. Yeah. And a lot of 80s films were doing, like, like Reagan-era films, like, thematically, there's a lot of, like, youths where it's, like, listen to us, please. You know, yeah. the kids are all or right. not of kind of all right feel.
0: to a certain degree because there's, you know, I don't want to jump ahead to, into double features quite yet, but, like, if you looked at stuff like this or a movie you got me to watch recently, <laughs> okay, River's think, Edge, yep. or over... Have you ever seen Over the Edge? Another kind of teenage... Oh, with... Uh, Rebel um, movie in is, the early 80s. Is Eric 80s. Stoltz in that? I believe it's, if I remember right, it's Kevin Dillon. Oh, I haven't seen that one then. um, But, like, this is a very similar kind of theme to where it's, like, what are we doing to these kids to make them feel like they even need this icon at this point? Yeah, yeah. Well,
2: yeah, because you're, like, I think you said the kids are not all right. They're fucked by... The system. The system. And, yeah, it's... um, yeah, we'll talk about remake stuff later, but there's just also a lot of like there's a lot about media here that would be really interesting for an update. Because it's all TV in this, but it's like now with social media and the way people are Instagram influencers and the way that you can be, you know
0: Yeah, I yeah. I if if you were time. up if you
2: were updating it, I would say you can't ignore it.
0: Well, and I like where Cody just went, though, the corporatized version of this, that's the pile. That's right. him yeah, 100%. Yeah, printing those t-shirts and making money off of her image. Because, Without again, the license to do so. Yeah, we're watching like the way that an image off can of be Off of a very pornographic
1: image of an underage girl. Yeah. It's infuriating. Well, it's all, I was it's, so mad about it. It's watching the that.
0: literal perversion of an image. It's like, how is an image per- interpreted for power as opposed to being perverted for money? So it's like, here's this older pig-headed generation that's like, what if I took her image and used it to tell, sell t-shirts? Where the kids are basically shaving their heads and, and throwing their fists in the air and screaming. Because the, one of the things that helps them go, let's say, viral before viral was a thing, is that Keith Gordon picks up his camera and they film fake hostage videos with him being their hostage and Billie Jean basically making response tapes to the police. Yeah, to it was get their response the tape that really really yeah. kicked them off. And she screams, fair is fair, because that's all she wants. She, it's We've covered this before in other uh, movies, is that one of the things that I really like about it, too, is that she doesn't want a million dollars. She all of the the the. He, he puts money in her hand, and he yeah. she
1: throws it back in his face. Yeah, because she, she doesn't want to be
0: exploited. Like it's just she just wants basically what the son took from them. Nothing more, nothing less, and that's where her uh her let's say slogan comes from. Is she just screams at the camera? Fair is fair, and that's what the kids adopt. It becomes their mantra. It's just they. Everybody in this life and this existence deserves that much, like that much dignity and respect and not to be treated like they're below anybody because of their class or their race or their gender.
1: I feel like that's still happening today with the battle for healthcare.
0: Well, with a lot of different (laughs) things. Yeah, but you're totally right. But that's, it's, it's an incredible, again, I don't want to keep hitting this on the head, but it feels like a movie that's incredibly ahead of its time. Like it just, and it packages it all inside of a teen outlaw movie. That's what's mind-blowing about it is that you watch it and you can forget all of this. You cannot give a fuck about any of the themes, and you can watch it and still be wildly entertained by it. Yeah. Because the performances are incredible. Helen Slater's off the charts, That's like true. not only hot, but like she totally just grabs this, like strong feminine icon by the the balls for lack of a better term and just owns it and is like i we me and you Martin were talking about it how like yeah I can't believe that she wasn't a bigger like movie star. Obviously she went on to be supergirl and like mint her own iconography but yeah like, but that was
1: that's kind of where she topped out right like, yeah she and that was, have like, been that was a flop you know,
0: like that wasn't her fault she yeah, should have been at like a
1: julia roberts level star
0: exactly she because she just oozes charisma the entire time and then you have people like christian slater like this is like his first or second movie it's his
1: first leading role
0: is yeah that's that is that right cody yeah. i know you were looking stuff up on imdb his first last leading night. role
1: and he also said in an interview that he thought that the, the two of them were destined to be married because their last names were slater
0: that's Kind of weird, but okay. <laughs> um, but you have Keith Gordon at kind of the height of his powers because you you have Dressed to Kill, Christine, and then you're right before Back to School. He yeah. has the best, yeah. and not 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 far after Jaws too. Not, oh yeah, you Jaws know? two. I always forget about Jaws two. Which so that I was
1: going to bring up in a whenever I could. Like I felt the strong parallel between the third act of this film and well other aspects also between this and Jaws. Because it was like the sheriff had an idea of things that were going wrong and was telling other authorities how they needed to run things. And the authorities weren't listening. And so he was telling, you know, we need to shut this down or whatever. And the uh, uh, attorney general wannabe, the guy's dad, was like, no, we're doing this. We're bringing the cops in and stuff. And then it ended up with blood on the beach.
0: Yeah. And they just needed to put an air tank in the patriarchy's mouth and blow it the fuck up.
1: Boom, blam.
2: Yeah, I think, like, we, we mentioned a couple times watching those, just how much, like, you said it's an outlaw film, but it's also, like, because it's an outlaw film, it's a Western. There's a lot of elements yeah. of that. And I think, like, I love, like you were saying, I really love the, you know, Ferris fair, fair thing. And it's, like, I want, you know, $608. And that's, you know, again, that's, that's Thief, right? It's, like, I'm owed this many dollars. Yeah, exactly. I'm not trying to exploit you or extort you. I did the work. This is mine. Give it to me.
0: Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. That we had talked about this before. Like even like noir type characters, like Parker. Yes, uh, all those old novels and movies, as well as like he never wanted more than what was owed to him, and that's that's a very kind of solid trope of the western Mm -hmm. and noir drama. honor code kind of shit. Yeah, exactly.
1: Mickey Rourke in Sin City.
2: Yeah. Well, I'm not sure. It was the money thing. How much he's owed.
1: He just seems to have like a neutral morality. Why would you compare
2: Helen Slater to Mickey Rourke? I don't You're know, just man. an animal. <laughs>
1: <laughs> These things are coming to my mind, and I feel the need to share them. A beautiful
2: <laughs> angel and a broken down piece of meat. <laughs> mm.
0: All right, but before we get too wild and off the charts, do we want to get into questions? Absolutely. Let's do it. Mm. Welcome back, and it's time for questions about 1985's The Legend of Billy Jean. Martin, I'm going to pose this one to you first. Sure. What's the best teen movie of all time, and is it The Legend of Billy Jean? Um,
2: American Graffiti is my is the best teen film of all time. Um, I don't know if it, at the same time, I don't know if it qualifies as a straight-up teen movie.
1: Yeah,
2: um, it's a movie with teens in it. Um, yeah. If I would say... This is up there. Um, I'm trying to think of some other examples. I mean, River's Edge, like we talked about before, I think is actually really high up there for me. Um, When you have like Rebel Without a Cause, it was like the ultimate teen movie um, about the generational gap.
0: Yeah, which is kind of what River's Edge was being compared to in the 80s. Yeah, they
2: said this is like the 80s. Their answer to that is like, you know, here's a generation you don't understand, and here's a movie that's going to show what that is. And the and the separation between the parents and the kids. Um I'm trying to think of other like just straight up teen movies. Fast times. If that's oh man, if that's a, if we're gonna count that I, I would say fast times and how is that not a teen movie? Well, I was I'm saying if that is, I think American graffiti's as well. Yeah. You know, per- so
0: I'd like if I were to pick like Billy Jean would be in there, stuff like perks of being a wallflower. Days and Confused. Days and Confused, um Oh, God. The canon one that was the the remake of the Israeli picture. Um, uh, Last American Virgin. Yep. Um, what else ranks very high? Cody, what other teen
1: movies? Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Oh, fuck you. Come on. It, I mean, it, it, Hughes, Hughes in general was rocking a teen it, thing. It deals, well, yeah, Hughes, it deals with that, that that window between being a child and in, in your parents bosom and and then going out into the real world but also dealing with your your parents as human beings that are flawed they're you know when you're growing up you view your your parents as this these i don't know olympus god like unfallible entities because they're raising you and protecting you but then as you're branching out on your own and and imagining the world beyond and you're excited to go there but it's also a little bit scary and you also have to come to terms with like who you are and, and who you're going to be and who you're with and you have, and that your friends are going to be moving away because of the circumstance and that life is just a, a river that keeps on flowing. And every now and then you got to stop and, and look around. Otherwise it'll just pass you by.
0: All right. I'm going to open a door for a possibly lengthy tangent or side conversation as, as it were. I don't like John Hughes movies. That's fine. Discuss. Um,
1: What don't you like about
0: them? Yeah, let's start with that. I think John Hughes' movies have been vastly overvalued in terms of, while I think he obviously minted a voice that spoke to a certain generation and contained a certain number of truths that obviously like Cody just kind of clung onto from his his overall filmography, um, I think they're too fantastical for me in terms of like they present a youth that I like frankly didn't connect with because like even though I grew up in the suburbs and like hung out with like mostly white kids like I think it's weird that there's no black people in John Hughes movies and I'm not trying to be like woke or anything but like it's just not a reflection of like the reality that I existed in and also they all felt like rich people movies to me. Like, they were all rich, smart kids with rich people problems. I mean, obviously, Pretty in Pink, which is probably why that's my favorite movie. And he didn't
2: direct it. It's and, Deutsch, so... Yeah,
0: yeah. Like, that's my favorite of his films, but that dealt with, again, kind of like Legend of Billy Jean, a girl from the other side of the tracks who is finding her own voice, um, also has a killer Harry Dean, St- Dean Stanton performance in it. Um, but it's just Hughes. I've always felt has been overvalued for success
2: as opposed to making movies that are good. Well, I, I think I like. I'm not a diehard Hughes fan. Like I really love Breakfast Club, and uh, it's just I, I just <laughs> no. I like. I just it's one of the films I like spending the. This is gonna sound like cheesy. I like spending the day with the characters. I like films that take place in one day or one night. Okay. I like the kind of setting, like um, bottle
0: episode type things.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I like. I like Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Um, I love Weird Science. Uh, you know what?
0: I'll wrap weird. Weird Science kind of hard because I think that is the John Hughes movies for perverts.
2: Yeah, no, it's and it's like really, it's really lewd and and Bill Paxton, the
1: guys that were chasing, that movie. the guys that were running down Billie Jean and the, uh, the 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 rusted up Challenger, definitely watched Loved Weird, weird science, science so many times.
2: Yeah, and I think, but like, it's interesting. Like teen movies too. Like Hughes has still held on like if you make a teen film a review is going to reference him like it's this whole thing of like it's very hughesian or you know it's a john hughes type thing mm. but i think cameron crowe probably can take as much credit well there's because another we have, great one is you have to say anything i, I was gonna say because say anything and you have like if you have fast time to say anything is these two like 80s like just huge really influential films but like you were saying about Pretty and Pink like you have these elements of like class that they bring in and kind of and you have Herodine Stanton who always elevates a film and like say anything you have like fucking like you know insider trading with like her dad going to jail like real world shit like comes liked, in I never liked that subplot it's Be- weird but it's like they're trying for something cause
1: isn't that they like, bring the, like you said they're bringing the real world into it yeah but real world but wasn't that the whole
0: uh, if I remember right There was that episode of the rewatchables recently where Judd Apatow was on there and he explained that like the origin of that movie was like um, from uh, James L. Brooks basically thought about the idea of like, what if you told a story about a girl who seems perfect but whose life is really kind of crashing down around her, and her like dad was re- like that who she idolized was really the villain. Like, what if you told a, like a story from that point of view, which I so, liked.
1: Meadow Soprano. Uh,
0: yeah, kind of, but without like the gangster elements, you know. Or, or if you, probably more apt is like uh, Don Draper's daughter. Uh, like, what yeah. if we watched an an entire series from the point of, uh. You know, little Drapers, little Sally. Yeah. So, like, I always like that idea. I just don't think the insider trading stuff in say anything works for me 100 because it almost feels like it comes from a different movie.
2: It kind of comes out of it kind of comes out of nowhere where you have this straight up kind of like. And it's a little. It's Cameron Crowe, I think, does get a little bit more nuanced with romance, and it doesn't follow this like straight path, sure. The way that like Hughes does, yeah. Um, Which is
0: another thing I don't like about his movies. They're
2: they're all meat cutes. It's like it,
0: the almost very definition of meat cute, like fantastical romance.
1: Uh, Ferris and Sloan were already together.
0: Yeah.
2: No, but that's a meat cute relationship though. That's a meat yeah. cute relationship
0: cuz
1: also like I thought the definition of meat cute was like
0: you mute. see the meat. You're mute. you are you are correct where you're going with it, but like to me the thing I hate about Ferris Bueller's Day Off is that Ferris Bueller is a fucking sociopath.
1: <laughs> yes, he is. And he's a superhero. Yeah, Ma- he's a
0: superhero. He there's no consequences for his actions and he's just this rich ass like he, for as much as you like Ferris Bueller, I guarantee you that's as much as I hate that fucking movie. I understand which that about might you. be fodder for another discussion we have later down the line. Yes, sir. Um but like I just I don't like I don't like that movie. I think it's I think it's porn for like rich white kids who want to get away with murder. Like Ferris grew up to be like a fucking Jordan Belfort type, and got busted yep.
2: for insider trading and raped in prison.
1: Or he's just a lawyer. My or
2: that too. Yeah, my buddy Steve had a whole thing. We talked about and He he actually made the same point you did. We were we were talking one time, and I said, "Oh, blah blah." Faye Spieler goes, "I hate that fucking movie." And I go, "Why?" He's like, "It's Reagan porn. It's Reagan era porn. This yeah. is like deregulation. It's the '80s where it's like get away with what you can." And like I said, it's about a rich kid who it's it's constantly against the oppressive system, but it's all like education and people trying to like do actually good for him. And he's doing all these things to get away with shit. And it is like thematically like a Reagan era film. Well, it's also sort of like there's one of the movies of, of but he's Hughes still, he's and,
1: still going to college. He's, he's wrestling with the the thoughts of that. He know like he he's really loves Sloan, but he knows they're going to be going in different directions.
2: That's, that's like, I think I get that. But the main point of the film is like the here, the here, point we all remember is he's, the, a rebel. is he's a rebel and he's this guy who gets away with shit. Like, yeah. right. that we all remember about Ferris Bueller, and it's called same. day off. The idea he's giving himself a day off.
1: And the sister, the one that's trying to like rat him out the whole time is the one that ends up in a police station.
0: Yeah. Like she's the evil one who ends up fucking grease ass Charlie Sheen. <laughs> so like,
1: but, but she also sleep sleep learns like her lesson hours. and realizes he's right.
0: Yeah. But it's kind of the same thing as like, uh, not to bring up, uh, Howard Deutsch again. Uh, but like, He directed my other one of Hughes's that I kind of really like, Dutch, but I have. Dutch is fun. Issues with it because Dutch is an entire movie about a rich kid finding out that poor people are people too. So, like, it's just.
1: And one of them's your
0: stepdad. Yeah, one of them's your stepdad. So, like, it's all kind of fucked up. Great Christopher McDonald heel turn in that movie, though. (laughs) Like, really love whenever he shows up and is just kind of a. Greaseball asshole.
2: I've heard that he's like in real life one of the nicest people. Oh, like, he plays like the sheep. I mean, I, one of my favorite villains in the history of like also is Chief McGavin. Like he's so great and Happy Gilmore.
0: Yeah, like yeah, there's. Uh, did you ever see the Midnight Run? God, we're so far off on it. <laughs> we got to get back on track. <laughs> I was just but, thinking that. But did you ever see the Midnight Run TV movies that they made? Where I did not. McDonald plays the De Niro character. They're not good but they're kind of interesting because it's McDonald in like total action hero mode Um, anyway back to the actual questions at hand question number two this is going to go back to Martin Keith Gordon where does this rank in terms of like the Keith Gordon pantheon
2: that's tough Um, I think it's actually pretty high because I think he really brings that like unique Keith Gordon energy that just it's just you can't copy that. And well, and also he plays like the perfect avatar for like the rich film school kid. That's one of the things I've always gravitated towards. Which is kind community. of who he was. Yeah, exactly. Who he is. And because I mean like for me, like I like Keith Gordon as a director. Like Chocolate War is one of my favorite films. Yeah. And which not too far two years after this, he directs his first feature film. Yeah. Um and and of course, and a shit ton of HBO. You yeah, know. shit ton
0: of HBO. He also made a movie, a Vietnam movie with Billy Crudup and Jennifer Connelly called uh, Waking the Dead, yep. which is a really good kind of little arty film about two reporters, I believe during the Vietnam era, who one of them believes the other one is dead and they try to kind of... Uh, Can like he continues his search for her because he's so in love with her. Oh, I like um, that. But man, if you've never seen it, it's really really good. It was
2: a tiny indie movie. I want to say in like two thousand. Because yeah, I remember like seeing it like pop up at like the video store. And I mean, I, I really love Mother Night as well. His his Vonnegut adaptation. Yeah, he also Nolte.
0: directed a, a bunch, a few episodes of this very strange. Uh, ABC mini series that I just watched for the first time this year called Wild Palms, hmm. and it was basically oh, it's it's utterly out of its mind. It was executive produced and basically created by a guy named Bruce Wagner, who was a novelist who also wrote uh, the novel that David Cronenberg's uh, Maps to the Stars is based. Oh God! On. And Wild Palms takes place in the same universe as Maps to the Stars, and it's all about. It stars James Belushi as this TV executive oh, I read up on who's this. essentially creating a new uh, type of immersive television to where like, it's almost like virtual reality, but like the uh, human beings are projected into your living room. But it's about how he gets into a tech war between uh, a company run by Robert Loggia. Uh Yeah, Exactly. Um, and in a, uh, it's almost like very cyberpunky. like Brad Dourif plays like an Oracle who's always jacked into a virtual reality. Um, this is available. Yeah. Kino Lorber just put it out on Blu-ray this year. Do you have, do you have it? Oh, I have it. It's out of its
2: fucking mind. Please lend it to me. Yeah. And it was a
0: comic strip in like the late eighties, early nineties, I want to say, but a uh, total wacko, uh, adaptation, but Gordon directs a couple, and Catherine Bigelow mm. directs for it, too. Um, Ernie Hudson's in it. Like, Damn. it's it's
2: real weird. Um, as an actor, I would say the top three would be Christine's number one. I just think you can't beat Arnie. I mean, it's just so, like... More than Dressed to Kill? Yes, for me. Ooh. I would say Dressed to Kill second, and then this. Yeah, it's tough for me, just as the big De Palma file that I
0: am yeah. uh, of Keith Gordon playing young Brian, like basically an autobiographical, like pulp version of young Brian De Palma. Like that's tough for me to top. Although
2: I have to admit back to school. That's high up there.
1: Yeah. Oh, Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah. Uh, Keith
2: he plays Gordon his son. plays his son. I didn't even realize <laughs> And that. then Robert Downey Jr. is his best friend. Yeah. R DJ too. Yeah. Um, that, that movie shreds. It's great. Cody, yeah, So Boingo, you know, Boingo, do all the music. Yeah, they do the the Dead live Man's Party,
0: <laughs> Dead Man's Party rendition at at the frat party that uh, so that, that Rodney Dangerfield throws. That oh, sounds amazing. Comedy Central classic.
1: Yeah, I definitely uh, remember watching that on Comedy. The edited on Comedy Central. Yeah. When I was younger, uh, so I'm I'm really only familiar with him from. Christine and this and Jaws Two, and I'm gonna rank them in that order. Yeah. So yeah, Christine. Uh, number what one. do
0: you do? You like Jaws Two? Let's talk about Jaws Two for a minute. Let's make this an entire like, <sighs> yeah. sec, like you, Martin, segment. You and I of both. No, no. I, I, I wasn't
2: saying. I don't want to talk about. It. I'm just saying because it's like I have a lot to say about Jaws yeah. Two. Yeah. Like let's just rip on it. Well, I don't have a ton to say about Jaws. I mean, really, it, I
1: it, love Jaws Two. Oh man. Really? Okay. I,
0: make the case against Jaws Two. Spielberg. Well, yeah, but I mean, like, it's still, it's well-directed. Like, here's my case for it, okay. and you can refute it if you want. It's the best slasher movie made on water. I
2: ah. am 100, no, I, 100%. I, I am not trying to say, like, I say it too, but I say it all the time. I'm like, it is a, it is teens... It's a Friday
0: the Thirteenth movie. Only Jason Voorhees is a shark. Well, and then also,
2: and and Loomis in Loomis is Brody.
0: Yeah, it's and awesome.
2: It, it's like from Halloween, so it's like the idea is like you know the kids are off, but he's trying to find out where the monster is and stop it. Um, I had a recent experience with Halloween too, so I always, I like Halloween. Sorry, Halloween two. I love Halloween two. You know that, but I love Jaws two, and I think it's a very like underappreciated sequel because I think. This is thought, yes, it's not Spielberg, but like.
1: I think it really gets overshadowed by its sequels. Really? Well, just. So you like three no, no, no. more? I don't mean overshadowed in praise. I mean overshadowed in disdain, and that takes it over as well.
0: Yeah, no, no. Yeah, you're totally right, Cody, is that like you could never. It's one of those movies that you look back and you're like, why did they ever think that they could or should make a sequel
1: to because Jaws? Because Jaws defined the term blockbuster. Well, yeah, no, but. It I mean, outsold Psycho. It, 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 no, it no. It's, it's the film that, that Hitchcock well no i hitchcock wouldn't meet spielberg afterwards because he felt so ashamed
0: yeah no no like i get why a studio would want a sequel but it's just one of those things from like a filmmaker like if you were a young director and universal came to you they're like cody we have an idea you're an up-and-coming director yeah we want you to make jaws 2 yes or no here's two hundred fifty thousand dollars. oh my god how much 250 that's your paycheck Yes. Chief Brody's coming back.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: Keith Gordon's in it. He's this young kid. He's up and coming. But Spielberg's not really involved. Yes or no?
1: Can I at least call him and get some notes? No. Sure, I'll do
2: it. All right. No, I I, <laughs> I, I, always... I've, I still like the movie, but I watched it about a month and a half ago. And I was always like oh, man, I love this movie like, like, there's some really great scares in it. I think the death of the um uh the scuba divers is great when they come like with jaws like there's like a, yeah. a jump scare with a shark out of out of seaweed Well and the is, boat is, attack where the boat blows up in it, the beginning it, it is, is fucking awesome is nuts but the pacing of the film like watching it I was like it takes forever to get to like I thought for me, my memory, the kids were on the boats to crash together for longer. That's like yeah. ten minutes of the movie. Yeah, that's that's
0: the worst part of it. It's almost like if a Friday the Thirteenth movie, if the kids got to Crystal Lake like two thirds of the way through.
2: That, it, that's my problem. Is like once that happens, I'm like in like Brody showing up, the way he kills the shark, the whole setup. Also, like and there's just like you were saying too, like the fact that they fucking remade, made a sequel. Because like how much of that film is based on Brody being like, there's still a shark, that was like, No, don't believe it's like as if jaws never happened.
0: Yeah, because like, Brody
2: if I haven't
0: watched it in a few years, but if memory serves, Brody loses his job they fire him to, in they it they because
2: because because and
0: it's the same mayor. Yeah, Murray Hamilton's like, Nope, fuck <laughs> this not that doing guy this again. Too.
2: Fucking shark. I saw some great like meme where it was like, um, This guy is still fucking mayor in Jaws 2. This is why local elections are important. Yeah. It's like, it's it's for real though, you know, but, but I I am a fan of the movie. Um, but like that, this release, this recent viewing, I forgot the first like hour is kind of a slog. Like, there's a lot of like local politics that just kind of hang with that. Because the first one is so perfectly structured.
0: Yeah, you're just waiting for the boat party for Chief Brody's kid to be- basically sneak out and go yes. off with the hot girls and like go to the, the boat party. Um, I agree, but I, I really like that movie. I've watched Jaws 2 not as many times as Jaws, but I've watched it, it a lot. It also breaks
1: the, the, the primary essential rule of Jaws 1, which is don't show the shark you only see the shark and jaws one for well set seven but minutes? again it's
0: yeah it's the slasher movie it's like it's kind of the same thing as like Friday the 13th part 2 which i just watched last, <laughs> last night or we just watched 6 the other night 5 yeah, 5 yeah.
1: that one that's so, what i said
0: so it's like um it's almost like okay well how do you make a sequel to Friday the 13th you beheaded the killer in the first one it's like well what if you just introduced the the mongoloid child as the killer and it's like okay weird but it's kind of the same but again that's where i go with my slasher kind of comparison is it's it's a total money grab it's a good comparison but it's it uh is almost like how they solve the problem of because isn't in this one is it i forget forget how the lineage goes because it's isn't it a family of sharks that we learn by no, the end? So
2: part two is just straight up another shark's there. That's it's it. It's just another shark. Part four is the ghost of the shark from part one.
0: <laughs> what? Wait, which one? I thought it's part the four was the
2: mom. The mom, but it's it's the, sh- the it's mom. It's it's, uh, it's Helen Brody. Because I remember them being psychically connected. That's I what haven't it is. I do not watched Jaws the Revenge
0: in forever. So
2: they literally, it's supposed to be the ghost of like the shark, from the, but it's a real shark. It's like, and, and she is psychically like connected to the shark and Michael Caine skipped the Oscars to win his Oscar because he was filming Jaws the Revenge. Yeah. And Mario <laughs> Van
0: Peebles plays a scuba diver with a Jamaican accent. The worst.
2: And then Lance Gass who I love, you mm-hmm. know, playing uh Michael. Yeah. Yeah, cuz shot because Dennis- Sean dies at the beginning.
0: Because Dennis... Yeah, Sean died in a slasher sequence. It, it's great.
2: with. I would never hear the first Noel whenever, at Christmas. They're playing that song when he's getting ripped apart yeah, in the boat. It tears his arm yep. off. That's I, a pretty gross one. It's great. Arm. He reaches in and it's just like, boom. But like... Uh,
0: that's actually the noise the shark makes. <laughs> but um, I like it more than 3. I hate 3. I can't sit through 3. 3 Even shit. though Dennis Quaid... The sea only World, reason I like
1: 3 is because the... Uh, park operator his last name is Bouchard.
0: Bouchard. anytime he answers the <laughs> microphone he goes Bouchard. <laughs> oh i do gotta tell you okay uh, last tangent and we'll get back to the questions yeah. i do gotta tell you guys about a movie i just saw for the first time since we're talking about jaws have you ever seen cruel jaws
2: you were t- you were no. texting us about it
0: it was the it's the italian ripoff the unofficial title overseas
2: was jaws 5 was there also one called last shark is that that film or is that
0: No, that's uh, That's another Italian knockoff as well. This actually uses footage from uh, The Last Shark. Okay, Bruno Mattei, one of the greatest ripoff artists of all time, essentially in 1995 made Jaws 5. It's an unofficial Italian ripoff slash sequel where it's all about a super tiger shark. That is released by the that they find out is released by the government is terror like stop terrorizing a small town. I can't remember the name of it, but it's basically you might as well just call it Amity. Um, there's a sea park run by a guy by a guy named Dag, who's played by <laughs> an actor who looks like Hulk Hogan, and cool. they end up fighting this ultimate tiger shark. But there's no shark footage. In the movie, it's all done through B-roll, like National Geographic footage, or footage stolen from... That's um, uh, The Last Shark. Yeah. Or Great White, I think, is the other Mm -hmm. title for it. But all the shark attack footage is taken from that movie. So it's a rip-off that uses rip-off footage that's not even it. It almost becomes... I I came up with this crazy-ass theory. I was high as shit, mind you. But like, I came up with this crazy-ass theory that it's basically like... The closest thing that Italia Schlock has ever produced to like a Godardian like experimental movie (laughs) to where it just it takes all of this weird footage where it's like, here's some stock footage. Here's some an actual like beach comedy that Bruno Mattei like shot for like twenty thousand dollars. Here's this guy who looks like fucking Hulk Hogan. Here's uh, uh, footage from the 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 last shark. Let's mash it all together into this experimental movie that straight up replicates dialogue from Jaws one and Jaws two. To where uh, you know there is like a Richard Dreyfuss surrogate character who looks like um, who's the guy who played uh, Tommy Jarvis in I believe in part five. He has this like real the, the hunky, buff The buff one, right? Yeah, it's like buff Tommy Jarvis. But like he comes in and there's dialogue like, this motherfucker just won't stop eating people. It's whole, this motherfucker's entire existence is to swim, eat, and make like little mother, mother, motherfucking baby <laughs> sharks. And you're like, what is happening? I mean, he's not wrong. Yeah, but it's also like there's, there's a line in this movie that I haven't laughed this hard in my life. To where it the whole thing it starts with the the Dreyfus surrogates character coming in and being like I'm here to study things and blah, blah blah and sharks and fish and his girlfriend's like well hopefully we make some time for partying and then he gets basically embroiled in this whole shark fiasco and when she finds out that he's gonna go out on the the boat with Hulk Hogan uh, to <laughs> essentially hunt the new tiger shark which. There's another thing I gotta tell you about. Uh, she literally looks at him and goes, "Well, why don't you go jump off a skyscraper and then go fuck yourself?" <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "What is this movie doing?" Also, it reuses the theme from Star Wars. <laughs> Wait, like the theme? The it does like an Italian version, like a remix of the theme from Star Wars when like Hulk Hogan and the the other. Um, uh, fishermen are basically pushing off to hunt the tiger shark, they're scored by the theme from Star Wars. Like, this is, like, galaxy brain rip-off <laughs> shit where I was just like, I have to show this to Cody and Martin.
2: That's like some jazz riffing. Where yeah, just like...
0: But that's where I came up with the Godard thing, is yeah. that it, it literally feels like a guy inadvertently doing this. Like, obviously, like, Bruno Mattei is just a total scumbag. But, like, he... <laughs> He was just making this movie, and it, it becomes this almost like avant-garde, experimental thing. Just
2: like shoveling gabagool in his mouth. Yeah, <laughs> He's totally like, honestly, like, gabagool. Oh, and by the uh, by
0: the by the way, there's an entire subplot where the Murray Hamilton, like mayor surrogate, is actually in bed with the local mafia, who comes in and sends the muscle out to to hunt the shark with shotguns. Oh man, it's Chef's Chef's kiss. kiss. Just magic, (laughs) magic stuff. Third question? Third question is going to be remake. Could you, should you, would you? I feel like this is a good point to kind of get into this because, well, I'm going to ask, you know what, Cody? Could you, would you? Should you remake you, Legend of Billie Jean?
1: You addressed this earlier that you were you were shocked and surprised it hadn't been revisited, reimagined, something at, at this point, especially with the MeToo movement going on. Yeah, I I think you you could, and at, at this point in time, it would be the best point in time.
0: Here's the problem, though. I would only want to see. Well, you know what, Martin, you you go next, and then you I'll give put, my, my issue. You could
1: put the original actress Slater in, in the role of the mom in the trailer being like, honey, do you think this one's going to be a good one? Yeah, I know. You know what's weird is that boyfriend sticks
0: around the entire movie. Yeah,
1: like, he's pretty he's loyal. Been,
0: he's yes. at the beach party by the end. And he's just this kind he's of like there. bald
2: like, doofus. And he's <laughs> like, mm, this is fucking
1: wild. I love doing
0: taxes. Yeah. <laughs> um,
2: I I think it's definitely worth a remake. Um, yeah. I think that like you said, the, the Me Too themes, but also, again, I think the use of media is how much media is different now and how much we're, we're so much more um, media gluttons in the way that we use social media to, like, kind of follow other people. I could right. b- picture her as this online presence. All right,
1: here's... I think they could also even, like, almost Cobra Kai it and, like, stretch it out into a... Uh, like a series? Yeah. Here's my issue,
0: and it's actually with what you just said is because I almost see, like, unless you got a really great filmmaker to make this the modern remake of this becomes like a netflix movie of the week Mm -hmm. where like fair is fair becomes a hashtag and it's like you know people as much as i use like you know the patriarchy and stuff in our general discussion like this could real easily become almost like the parody of what twitter is right now to where it's like activism is essentially saying smash the patriarchy online as opposed to actually doing anything about it. Fair is fair would become like a fucking hashtag. The The outlaws, like we would see them through like, you know, uh, cell phone footage and shit like that. There's ways where like, I would like this movie. And then there's also ways where I would watch it and be like, no the left shit, is no. like, look at these freedom fighters. The right is
1: like, look at these yeah.
2: anarchists. You would need a really intelligent. I think you would need a person who's a fan. I think, first off, of the original, but who's a fan for the right reason. Right. You know, who's picking up on these themes because it could very easily become also just have a really kind of a shtick to it and kind of be schlock purposely because, like, the fact that it is a cult movie is not highly respected by critics. You know, it was not that time, and it's not, you know...
0: It's become a cult movie for a lot of people to where like it's become reappraised and rediscovered. Why did this movie then, turn
1: into more of a thing? Like it seems like it has all the elements. I think it because we haven't
0: even really gotten to like the Pat Benatar of it all, because yeah. this hat movie has just like a killer, killer like theme song.
1: Yeah. So something when I watched it last night that I particularly like noted to myself was the first time that you see her when she comes out of the uh, the mansion with the short hair. Oh my god! And she's walking up with the uh, the swimsuit with the sleeves cut off, Incredible. and that that theme starts playing as she's walking towards them, and they're all like mouth agape, like I legit got tingles yeah, Back of my neck ass. down down my spine.
0: Oh, this is a weird movie that I cry a lot at. Like and just. <laughs> And not necessarily because I'm sad or I'm happy, but like... It's just it, moving. It's that... It, well, it's that like... The thing that I love about movies itself is that when you just hit that precise combination of image and sound and like cutting, like it's just when it when it works, it be, it's like magic. And for me, it just becomes utterly overwhelming. And I just, I have this almost have like Lovian response to it. I understand that, that.
1: That's that
2: moment in me for Manhunter where he's has the hand on the window. It's that very similar thing where it's like it's narratively linked as well because it's a moment in the film, but yeah. it's like but it's like you said it's image, it's sound, it's it's just like a moment you're like, this is everything I want from cinema right now. Yeah. Man, I got chills too. Like you're right, bro. when I saw that's the first time I've seen it, but like I was like, damn, it's just like and I, I like oh my That
0: camera glides just over that the 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 shimmering blue like surface of Keith. It also, it cool. also does a,
1: a a turnaround. It starts on her face and like follows her She around runs her, her hand through by. her hair. Oh yeah. my god, it's so fucking. And good. you're also like, She looks better with short hair than she did with long. How's it possible?
0: Yeah, I mean she looks good regardless, but you know. like do you, do you think no, I mean, but I actually agree with you. Martin actually had a similar comment when he was watching it. He was like pixie hair, bro. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I think that it's like maybe the quick answer to you saying should it be remade is yes, but they'd probably fuck it up. Like I think that's the like, they my, would my lose quick the hit. message. They lose the message and it just it was like you said like a very and also like not even them losing it, but I think like there's also you have to think about um like viewership. Like how people will take it, right? You know, because even if they're trying to present this message, like if it if it lands in a certain way, it could very easily get kind of defanged. Like the sharpness of like its message could go away.
1: You also quickly. have to insert cell phones and social media into. Yeah, the story. because
0: obviously you're updating it from the '80s, and and you got to do the tech. So yeah. you have who to who would do you get that? to?
1: Reprise the uh, or not? Who would you get to fill the main role? Someone Ooh. new. Well,
2: you think so? Someone you've you've never seen before? I think be like an up and I think like an up and comer or someone like new. I I would actually do a person of color first off. I think to add that element to it because um, because the, the film is still very like is still very white, um, right?
0: You know, what we kind of we had something very close to a remake for this movie. Um, in, when you bring up people of color last year with uh, Queen and Slim. Um, that was also an outlaw movie. Where I thought was, you were
1: going to say that other, the Beale Street one.
0: No, 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 no. It was it was the one with um, uh, Daniel, Daniel Kalu- Kaluuya. Yeah, and I can't they get pulled over the in the actress. car,
1: and the, the guy gets killed.
0: Yeah, they basically get pulled over by a racist cop. Right um and then she know. takes
1: social media and like starts a movement exactly like, yeah
0: well like the video it's kind of like that idea of like the cell phone video or is it i can't remember That's an app's comparison i haven't watched it for a while but the body cam footage or the cell phone footage gets online and they become outlaws running from the cops and like kind of stay with uh, different uh, members of their like extended again kind of an underground but the railroad. guy the guy doesn't
1: die and the cops stop well, no, so, he doesn't so,
0: die. They become like a body, like a Black Bonnie and Clyde.
1: I'm I'm mixing it up. If if Beale Street could talk, yeah, yeah, yeah. Beale Street is the one where the guy dies. Right. This is the one. Well, what he goes it? to doesn't prison she... in Beale Street. Oh, okay, I thought he died. But doesn't she become like a spearhead of a she at least like well, a neighborhood she, movement? kind yeah, of Yeah, she exactly. She yeah. tries to
0: spearhead like a neighborhood movement to try and like support hit like the right, family right, right. while he's away while he tries to get out. But Beale Street is like the Stark you know, reality, because that's a James Baldwin book to where it's literally about being black in America. And he, in the end, I mean, spoiler alert, or I guess if you've never read this 50-year-old book or, like, seen this recent movie, but, like, he's still in jail at the end. Like, that's the point is, like, you can struggle and you can fight, but if you're black in America, there's a solid chance that you're just fucked. And, like, in Queen and Slim has a very similar theme to where it's, like, they become outlaws. They run... Uh, and, and stay with different members of kind of like their own underground railroad and everything, including Bakim Woodbine, who's fucking amazing in this movie. Is he should kind be of in like everything. A, a sweaty kind of swampland pimp. Um, but like at the end of that movie, wait, have you guys not seen it? I haven't. No, I'm not going to spoil it. No. Then Let's say it ends bad. Okay, um, but it also has a similar. It has a very Baldwinian, let's say, if we want to apply that term, ending to where it's like if you're black in America, you can become an icon, but you could, you're probably going to die for it. So, like, it's really, really good. That's the closest thing to me that we have to like the Legend of Billie Jean. So, that, my
1: question on top of that is, uh, if if they if they could or should remake it today, could they make it as fangless as you said as it is?
0: I think if you make it kind of the way that Martin's talking about to where it's like a white director or a white girl and it's just like, because there's a way that this just goes wrong and like completely rejects. Because the, the, the great thing about the legend of Billie Jean is kind of like what we were saying in the main portion of the episode is that like you can do without all of that and still be entertained all of the themes feel like entirely organic to where like, if you remade this and you were like, like, and you hired a director, who was like, I'm going to make this for the me too era or whatever. Like there's a way that this
2: all feels manufactured and almost like just bullshit. Yeah. It's definitely a good marriage of like a fun story with theme that like, it's hard to do that. And and also to have that kind of cult, like almost midnight movie feel to it. Like just, a crowd pleaser, um, it almost feels like accidental too. Like there isn't, you know, Yeah. there is. Cause well, because
0: if you look at Matthew Robbins, the director's filmography, uh, not a lot. He made Corvette summer with a weird road mo- movie with Mark Hamill and Annie Potts, which if you've have you ever seen that movie? I have not. No. Oh my God. You want to talk about it was smoke this Mark Hamill uh,
1: pre or post Star Wars? Post. Okay. It's like
0: 78. Um, it's, if you want to talk about smoke shows, Annie Potts in this movie. Oh my God. God. and like he made this and then he went on to make like the bingo movie the dog movie
2: oh yeah so like he's let's say hit or miss um it feels it feels like the genius of the film is somewhat accidental as like her journey is accidental like there's this kind yeah. of like again like we've said before the idea of lightning in a bottle for a film yeah the I think that it's worth a remake and a try, but I don't think you can recapture the magic of what occurred. Okay. Um, so this one's a
0: real simple one. We're going to play Mary Fuck Kill.
1: Oh, Jesus.
0: In. And- Christian Slater. Peter Coyote. Dean Stockwell. Okay. Um
1: is Stockwell Quantum Leap. <laughs> yeah. Okay.
2: Um. Okay. You, you definitely like.
1: Oh, I, I, yeah, actually, it's easy. I actually find this kind of easy. You
2: marry Peter Coyote. Yeah. He's, he's a good man. Yeah. Okay. You fuck the shit out of Christian. Dean Stockwell. Oh, no. No, you fuck the shit out of Dean Stockwell and you make him dress like his character from Blue Velvet. And he's like, honey, the glasses, like while you're banging. And then you kill Christian Slater. Damn, you're gonna kill Christian Slater? Yes. No.
1: Nope. See, I'm I'm going. Uh, I'm 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 marrying Coyote. I'm fucking Slater, and I'm killing Stillwell.
0: How about you? Cody likes him young. <laughs> no, I just like him <laughs> attractive. I'm sorry. See, I I told you off mic. Cody obsessed with looks. <laughs> um, fuck Mary, kill. I would probably. Yeah, you you marry Peter Coyote because he's just a solid dude. He's a
1: good looking dude and he's morally set.
0: Yeah. You totally just murder Christian Slater's butt. and then maybe
1: he murders your buddy. i would kill
0: i would kill dean stockwell like i would murder him because he's a shitty politician in this movie yeah we haven't even really touched on his character too much is because like i did a little bit in the the comparison
1: between him and the mayor and jaws but yeah he's the reason
0: that christian slater kind of gets shot at the end is because he sets up the snipers without peter coyote's permission and then also i don't know if that's something
1: the attorney general can do but yeah
0: uh I think if it Did, involves his own kid and it's like a, a Do they have military state-wide... authority? Well no, it's just state police, right? That would just be state police. Yeah, it's just state police. Okay. He's not have... activating the National Guard. I don't know. Do they have that kind of authority?
1: Well, you I don't, don't think it so. I
2: don't think it matters. I think it's more like he's he is that important that he can make
1: calls. Also, he's, yeah, he's in the running for it. He's not act he's not acting yet, right? No, he's yeah. running
2: for like
0: Senate. I mean, look. Or something like that. He, he's, the, he's Attorney General. We're in the era of like Shitty white politicians, are you telling me that you wouldn't shoot like who's the fucking attorney general for Trump? Bill Barr? Oh, what a dick we Yeah. Are. Put
2: a bullet in that motherfucker. <laughs> my friend, so my friend is a uh, a gay comedian. A lot of his humor is like is very is very racy. And he had this he he made this meme of Bill Barr and it's him sitting <laughs> on a couch and it says <laughs> This dumpster can hold a whole lot of cum. You slap his side. And I was like, that's the funniest shit
0: I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, he's like the evilest version of John Goodman. <laughs> he's like John
2: Wayne Gacy. That's what I picture.
0: Yeah, there's no way that he doesn't have like dead hookers in
2: his basement. Guaranteed. Clam suits.
0: Yeah. Like,
2: like just he eats sh- ribs over dead bodies. Like. Just-
0: All right. Um. Before the CIA comes and hauls me off. Uh. Double feature. Cody.
1: Oh, damn it. Um, go to Martin. Give me a second. Um,
2: I'm, we talked about it when we were watching. I think am going to do Ace in the Hole, the Billy Wilder film. Um, Isn't
1: this the second time
0: you've done Ace in the Hole, though? No. No? Okay, go for it. I don't think, I think I've, I've done I think it's that. the
2: first time I've heard him say it. Okay. Yeah. There was another one that... I think you might have brought it up br- in reference. I, but, I brought it up when we were watching it. Like okay, We talked about it for a bit when we were, when we were watching it. Maybe that's what I'm it.
0: thinking of, just being a dick. <laughs> no, I well first of all I love the film and I think I'm sorry, I'm on I just have the biggest rage boner
2: right now. You bring up Donald Trump. And I, just, <laughs> I think like they're both about like if there were a darker side to Legend of Billy Jean, like we were talking about, the idea of like her dying or like her movement getting out of hand, that feels like um ace in the hole at the original title was the big carnival. Yeah. You know, the idea of like rubberneckers and the way that, and it is, it is about media obsession and and the way that people read these newspaper articles. And he's basically drumming up, um, the story for his own purposes. Um, and almost has like a bonfire of the vanities vibe, you know, like the way that like the media can, can profit and benefit from, um, from tragedy. So there's just like there's just some elements there, and it's not a, definitely like the themes are quite different, but there's definitely some crossover, um, I think between the two films. Cody, have you thought of one yet?
1: Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Oh my God! <sighs> but uh teenager learning the power that he wields that he can hold over others and he can out outdo adults are
0: you just gonna stick with this to piss me off no it's half and half i'm I'm doing it
1: because i can't think of a a good one and i forgot that this question gets asked because i'm an idiot uh so i didn't ponder it beforehand
0: i'll do one and let's see if you can keep mustering one up i'm gonna do another christian slater movie uh that came later cuffs heathers oh pump up the volume pump up the. oh shit Because it's another movie, it's another teen movie made about, and from my perspective, uh, is about the idea of what happens when you discover your own voice and what basically reckoning with the power of what that means. Because, like, I think one of the great kind of undervalued uh, directors of the 80s and 90s. Um, was Alan Moyle, the guy who made Pump Up the Volume, because 10 years before that, he made one of my favorite movies of all time, a movie called Times Square, which is about two girls who go uh, and run away uh, to uh, the titular, let's say, New York City grindhouse area, and they become a punk rock band called the Sleaze Sisters. And it's all about how they rise to fame but have to grapple with the idea of, like, what does it mean to become, you know, sort of, like, a voice for, like, young people and, like, a rallying call against, like, again, these, like, authoritarian adults because, you know, one breaks out of a mental institution, another, we're not going to go into her background because that's kind of one of the nice big reveals of the movie. If you've never seen it before, Kino Lorber is supposed to be working on a new transfer because it's been really hard to see forever because it it was out of print uh, forever. I actually saw this movie on 35 millimeter for the first time. It was one of the first movies, if not the first movie I saw here in Austin down at the Ritz after I moved here. And the legend of Billy Jean was actually in the same screening series. It was like a, a teen rebel like screening series and both times square and that were in this but Alan Moyle, 10 years after this, because <clears throat> there's a lot of production woes that went into Times Square where they added a soundtrack that's, like, crazy. It's really good because it has, like, Roxy music and a bunch of people on it that are awesome. But, like, he didn't want... He wanted it to be, like, all punk music. And then there's a lot of really deep, like, queer themes to the movie to where it's almost like the girls become... Uh, lovers together and live in like the old Adonis like porno theater and stuff and that's like the, the queer stuff was kind of edited out and he borderline like disowned the movie and then he quit filmmaking for almost like a decade but then he came back and he made pump up the volume with Christian Slater and pump up the volume for people who've never seen it again very hard to see because it has like one of the ultimate late 80s early 90s soundtracks that like the rights are very hard to get. It's all like Pixies and like that early kind of like college radio rock and stuff. But it's about Christian Slater plays an underground DJ named Hard Harry, who almost becomes like (laughs) a, um, he becomes like the, a uh, a like Lenny Bruce type Mm -hmm. to where it's all about working blue and like, you know, he does like jerk off jokes and everything, but he also plays like awesome music, but like it's everybody in his, is in like, it. Yeah. Samantha Mathis is amazing yep. in it. Um, But it's it, all the kids at his local high school, like all tune into this underground. Cause he basically has like a pirate radio station. They find the frequency turn in while all the authority figures like hate him. So it becomes about him grappling with the, power that this voice like kind of comes with because there's a plot point in the middle of the movie where a kid calls in and says, I want to kill myself. And instead of saving him, he kind of turns a blind eye and says, Hey, we're all struggling. Like this is shitty, but the kid ends up doing it and he gets blamed for it. And it, again, it, it becomes about how Kristen Slater's character has to grapple with this, Idea of like, okay, my voice now means something. Like, I have power. People draw in like inspiration from what I have to say. No matter how silly or ridiculous or like blue my work has become, it's all about inspiration. And, and now he becomes an outlaw himself. It's also Alan Moyle would go on to make a movie I don't really like, but a lot of people do like uh, Empire Records.
1: Um which is all another damn I don't like the it either I liked it when I was movie. younger upon rewatching, it doesn't hold the same gravitas I actually yeah.
2: watched it and the whole thing annoyed me from frame one I hate it I hate it it's it's like nails on a chalkboard it was also
1: cut down from like two and a half hours to its current yeah. Time. well
0: it's another movie a lot of his movies have these weird production histories where you find out that like he basically disowns them because like the studio came in and it's cut his original it. yeah just cut his original vision out because by all accounts, he's notoriously difficult to work with and kind of a wild man. Um, I think he's British, but anyway, uh, but they're all known kind of like legend of Billy Jean, which was going to be my next question before face melter status is, uh, like they're all great soundtrack movies. And Cody, have you come up with a double feature idea yet? I have. Okay. Go for it. And then we'll jump to the next question. So,
1: uh, Female protagonist that ends up being forced to take charge and, and lead children into the light from the darkness from a, a scary adult world. Adventures in babysitting. Oh wow. Well, that's, that's a good really one. Good.
2: That's a really good one. Yeah. Yeah. I
1: haven't you seen know. I haven't seen that in forever. Know, <laughs> so, you know, it's a like I said, it's a female protagonist. It's uh, put in charge Elizabeth Shue. Yeah, right? Elizabeth Shue.
2: Gorgeous in that movie. And yeah.
1: She's gorgeous in everything, and in, including up to uh current date of Last year's The Boys. She she still looks good. Well, leaving Las Vegas, gorgeous, dark. Dark. <laughs> super dark.
0: <laughs> but no, Adventures and Babysitting is really great. Really great Chicago movie. Yeah. Too. Was, like maybe I don't I don't know if it's the ultimate Chicago movie, but yeah,
1: like mean, Ferris when, Bueller also took place uh, in Chicago. Also Ferris
2: Bueller. It's very Chicago.
1: <laughs> Dude. I would also like to note to the crowd that Jacob just gave me the most indirect side eye that he's ever given me in our friendship.
2: I think my there are two Chicago films. They're probably not like considered the best, but for me, it's number one would be The Fugitive, just using that city as this like awesome like like racing like kind of chase ground, and then it would
1: be Untouchables.
0: Okay, I was gonna say Untouchables is a big one.
1: Um, Where did Heat take place? That's That's L A. Okay. Come on! Man. Well, I just remember the tall buildings and the. God, nice. I would also
2: do Eight Men Out. Well, that's like- a good
0: one. That's a real good one. Yeah. Uh, all right. Next question: What is the best movie soundtrack? Movie, and we're talking
2: like- soundtrack, not score. We're talking Ooh, like we're with talking songs. Okay. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I should narrow that down. Okay, so Billie Jean. One of the great things about it is it has this Pat Benatar song um, that doubles as basically its main theme. You hear
1: it. Do we want to uh, touch on the, the Yeah, Well, Benatar? yeah,
0: you dug this up something I didn't know. I always thought Pat Benatar wrote it. You said that she Pat, hates Pat it? Pat
1: Benatar did, did not, neither wrote nor composed, but she performed, and apparently for a time before she would perform the song live, she would uh, add the note of... All right, here's the song for the theme of the worst movie ever made, and then go breaking into the track. my heart. Pat I know, Pat, Pat, it's and, it's and it's a great song. As I said earlier, like just just the notes of it when you see Billie Jean with her hair first cut. Well, because it's
0: repurposed into being like part of the score. Too. Yeah, it's
1: it's it's a part of the DNA of this film.
0: Yeah, but I mean, you also have Billy Idol. You have yeah,
1: Billy Idol sped up by like an eighth of a beat. Isn't
0: also. that weird? Yeah, like okay. I'm glad it, you it caught bothered that me too. A little bit.
1: It sounded yeah. higher pitched too. Because like, it was weird. They, 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 it they up, didn't yeah. adjust the pitch at all. They just sped it yeah, up. It's yeah. like they didn't yeah. try to hide it. I don't know if you could back then, but
0: it's a slightly faster tempo so that the 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 song matches so, the awesome foot chase. But at yes. the same time, you not ruin the song. But yeah, you totally notice. You're like, oh, his this voice is
1: higher. Everything's higher.
0: But here, let me ask you guys, what's the best like soundtrack movie of all time? Or so like, or like, because this movie ha- like was obviously like, it's almost Joan of Arc for the MTV generation in a weird way, because like they even watch MTV at one point, like it's on, you know, she cuts her hair to, I mean, as much as we say, she looks like Joan of Arc. She looks like kind of punk new wave Joan
2: of Arc. Pat Benatar's haircut was like that. Yeah. She also had a kind of pixie hair for a while.
0: Yeah. So Um, like it's you know, it's it's definitely trying to to tap into, let's say, the youth market of the time. For you, what what do you guys think are like the great movie soundtrack movies? So we movies
2: made to sell albums. Well, you and I brought this up when we were watching it. Someone's gonna put it out there. I know we're all gonna agree, The Crow. Yeah.
1: I know you were going to say that. I didn't even watch it. I think guys. everybody. think so like, Martin's going to say The Crow. Yeah, but I it's good. Well, March, we, we watched The Crow together. Yeah, we were talking. What, like a month ago? Yeah. Six and
2: weeks? We and I were talking about, like, when we watched it as well. It's just like, the soundtrack is just like hit, 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 hit. And it's just like, I grew up. My brother had the album. I'd never seen the movie, but I listened to the soundtrack before I saw the movie. Well, know? it was clearly,
0: like, uh, you know, programmed by somebody who was tapped into the scene at yes. the time because you have. Nine Inch Nails, Stone Temple Pilots, the Cure, the Jesus and Mary Chain. Uh Cures. My Life with the Thrill Kill Cult. Rollins Cure, Band Rollins Band,
2: Pantera. <laughs> like just wild shit. It's it's all like, and all the songs are like really fucking good. Yeah. Really good. Uh, and and, and, against and the they machine.
1: define they define oh. a generation. Yeah. It, it's
2: it's such a like that I think like because we're all very close in age, like there's something about a, in a that movie <laughs> and you can't just moved past. It was so huge and, and for our generation. But then the movie
1: kinda like defined my idea of love for yeah, for oh, a time. I was like twelve or thirteen when too. it came out. I went and like bought a little junkie ring from a a, a, a kiosk in a mall that yep. said like true love is forever or something on it. I had a
2: I had a pendant from City of Angels and it was like Love is forever on the back yep. with like the bone crow on the front <laughs> and That's so totally, I, uh, totally whack
0: you guys. Yeah. But I'm
2: <laughs> I, I mean just to start I'm gonna throw out the crow, um and yeah. see where you well, guys are. Well, I mean, and
0: out. also the crow, cause you guys watched City of Angels recently too, <laughs> uh, the sequel. Yeah. Yeah, but I did. mean the sequel was engineered to to basically sell soundtracks as well. Also had, a great
1: soundtrack. Yeah, you had corn, deftone, filter hole fil- Yeah. film whole. itself not so great and also, also re-edited by the yeah. production company.
2: Everything oh, I've read about the original cut is like the story is like, wow, actually it's fucking cool and they just shut. Cho- it the they and chop the production it company was
1: like, let's chop this up and try and make it as much like the original You as mean possible. the Weinsteins? Yes.
2: Yeah. They, yeah. They, they just fucked that movie. Weinsteins.
1: Well, and then, man, I would have, killed
0: to see the rumored rob zombie crow there he had like written a i I think it was like called like the crow 2046 or something to where it all took place in like a cyberpunk future that's actually cool as
1: fuck does batman be on there also well it's kind
0: of like if you go through and, and actually research a lot of like the unmade rob zombie projects there's a lot of like amazing ones where he had these these Great ideas, but I mean, like him directing a crow entry, like totally fits with that franchise's kind of music centric yeah. approach. He's, um, he he does music for the sequel,
2: yeah. White, White Zombies on the second
0: yeah, soundtrack. Ex- yeah, exactly. I had, I heard this crazy story. Not not to again, do we want to
1: take this moment to tangent off on the, the different versions of Halloween Two? No, 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 no. We <laughs> we have a
0: project coming up that that's going to be an eight hour
2: episode. Yeah, that's now also going to include Chris
0: <laughs> Bueller. Um, but like there, I was told this story by a very dear friend of mine who was working at a hot, let's say a name production company at the time that was known for home video, but was trying to get into, uh, production. It was anchor Bay. So, right. but at the time, Rob Zombie was developing a remake of the blob. But the blob was going it was going to be an almost direct sequel, not to the McQueen movie. The eighty eight one. But to the Chuck Russell movie oh from nineteen eighty-eight, to where the entire movie is about uh, you know, the the madman at the end who's basically like worshiping that piece of the
2: blob. The the, the minister.
0: Yeah, he creates his entire an entire religion and like kind of like a revival tent circuit out in the desert, but it's all about worshiping the blob and how he creates these like servants who like become like his minions or like these demon people that go out to bring people in to like sacrifice to the blob and stuff. And my buddy told me when he was working at anchor Bay at the time that he, one of the first meetings he was ever asked as like a low level kind of like entry, not entry level employee. Like he was a, like decently leveled employee there at the time. But like he was basically told, Hey, you're going to sit in on this meeting. It's with Rob Zombie. He's coming in to pitch a project. He's really enthused about. And my friend was don't freak out. He really liked Rob Zombie's movies at that point. Cause I think then he had only made house of a thousand corpses and like he was sitting there, he's like, "Sure, whatever Yeah, what, whatever, whatever you say." And I'll just sit there. And he said he just sat in the corner the entire time, while Rob Zombie brought in like whole dioramas that he had made from scratch to like show like this is what the revival tent's gonna look like. This is the weird world that the blob kind of takes place in. These are the, the the little demon people that like come out and like like act as almost like the, the golems that bring in the sacrifices and stuff. And he said, it looked like he, he said, if I had any authority, I would have stood up and said, yes, however much money you want (laughs) do it. But like this movie, you can find a lot of like the original artwork online that zombie had done. It's like, come on to the internet. But the way my buddy told me the story, I was just like, Oh my God, I can't believe that movie doesn't exist. But back to the question at hand, Cody, Best soundtrack movie since Martin straight up stole
1: that. (laughs) I had to go first. I was a crow, crow. Ferris Bueller's (laughs) Day Off. the Matrix really kind of. Oh yeah, really kind of defined a uh, also very industrial
0: like the the crow.
1: But but the next the next decade like a decade forward. Right, that's a more, good one, uh, man. Also, more, Rage Against the Machine. Yeah, like yeah. The film. It, it, it closes out the film.
0: Yeah, I mean, and one of the great kind of needle
2: drops of all Come time. On! Yeah. yeah, so good. It, I I loved that sound. I still love that soundtrack.
1: I, I I had that CD. I was in I don't know eighth ninth grade. Had my little disc man. It was in there at least once twice a week, and I would listen to it multiple times through.
2: Yeah. I think the craft I, has a good soundtrack
0: too. The craft is a good one. I mean, that was a big thing. We all grew up during like the nineties and like that like was nineties huge... like
1: acid industrial warehouse rock kind of thing.
0: Yeah, like exactly. Like but that was a huge thing when we were, let's say in junior high and like became teenagers and stuff is like you always had a tie-in, either song or soundtrack. Like it was part of the marketing. It was a part, like yeah. even shit. Like I remember, this is it's a like weird Marilyn example. Marilyn Manson
1: or Stabbing Westward or Bush. Or, yeah,
0: uh, stuff like that. Or like it, because I remember, like Bush had like that American one song World World for, like, in Paris. World World that's exactly
2: and, uh, what I was uh, thinking of. It's, it's, the, it's, it's 100%. the deconstructed version it's of it's Mouth. Exactly I love what that, I was that song. Thinking
1: of. <laughs> But I, I had to the deconstruct that album. I, <laughs> well, th- I was thought like, I was so intelligent because I had that album.
0: Well, I remember buying the soundtrack for like Scream Two for like the Collective Soul song yep. that was at like the end, and like it was just a it was it's a thing that doesn't exist anymore. It's a generational thing because like we just we, we have Spotify, have physical, Yeah, you, you're not
1: you're not limited to a grouping of songs on one particular medium or. or you don't buy albums auto. anymore. Yeah, you no, know? you don't. If you hear a song and you like it, you look it up, and then you uh, play it on Spotify. And then if you still like it, you go to like that song's radio and see if you can like pick something similar yeah. in the playlist that it generates for you. There's, there's,
2: you'll go the first. Um, good.
1: No, no, no. I was also there's I, no more exclusivity agreeing. to music. Yeah, like, it's not like I've got the CD. It all exists. All, it's in yeah. the
0: cloud. It's in the fucking ether that you pull it's out. It's available like you just to everyone at, at any moment. Yeah, but it, kind of bouncing off that is that this is a weird one. I don't know because I guess to clue the audience in, since these will air much later after they're recorded, is that we're in October now, so we're in the middle of like Halloween season and watching horror movies, and the three of us are pitching the idea of like a movie marathon together. But one of the main albums that I always loved as a kid was Tales from the Crypt Presents
1: Demon Night oh it's had, awesome yeah,
0: yeah it had like fucking pantera I, I talked to you
1: about was, that not that long ago right the, yeah. the, the billy zane one yeah. yeah 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 yeah. just an
0: incredible movie but it had this awesome Gre- great soundtrack. actors in it
1: too that were uh pinkett smith's in that
0: yeah but it, back during the day where i think either she was in or it was right before she was in her own metal band i think
1: it was oh no i actually saw her yeah in austin Wow. With with her metal band, I figure what they were called, but they they were the opening act for Power Man Five Thousand. Oh wow! Yeah, Holy I shit! S- I saw them down off of Riverside. I got her autograph at the end on the concert ticket, but she, I don't know. I, I guess I was awkward towards her or something because I just like walked up and like handed her my ticket, and she's you know five three, and I'm six one, and I didn't like say much. I just like slid the ticket towards her, and she was like okay, and she like <laughs> took the ticket and like scribbled her name, and then made this weird. Um, uh, like geometric spiral pattern on it and like gave it back to me. That's kind of cool. Neat. Do you still have that ticket? Maybe somewhere. I doubt it, but All right. yeah, there's,
2: there's definitely, um, beyond these soundtracks, like, with, like for instance, I had the speed soundtrack, right? And it, on the front, it would say music from and inspired by the motion picture. They would have songs on there that weren't in the movie. So there's yeah. a whole thing. They would make an album where they would get so like this one had the fucking Billy Idol sang the song called White Lightning. And this stuff like, Speed, give me what I need, White Lightning. It's like and it's like <laughs> That sounds like a <laughs> Metallica <and>, song. <laughs> <laughs> and it's in the credits, but it's like not in the movie. And like right. Um there's, there's also like films like um like, they're obviously from a different era, which is perfect for a soundtrack. Like, Forrest Gump had the double disc, and oh, more yeah. from Forrest Gump, Days of Confused, which is a huge album. Yeah, both Just,
0: of them, like, they almost doubled as almost, like, uh, like greatest hits, like, compilations or, like, solid gold, like, yeah, seven. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah, from era. films are great for that, too. Yeah.
2: Reservoir but- Dogs, I think, is one of my favorite albums, because also you have the um, uh, Stephen Wright interludes. That's
0: kind
1: of different though, because like yes.
0: that's so curated by the auteur himself yep. that I feel like that's an almost entirely different category. When I was
1: just out of, uh, like when I was just into my first year of college, so like 2004, I had my own one bedroom apartment. And one of the albums I really liked to put on my six disc CD changer stereo system in my tiny uh, living room while I was doing. Math homework or whatever was uh, the Desperado soundtrack. Oh, me too, dude. I love that. I had that on CD, and they also had the uh, the little snippets of the film, like yep. in, in, yeah, in, in, in between the, the tracks.
2: Uh, Dust Told Dawn was a good soundtrack as well. I had yeah, a lot yeah, of good yeah. like, like Tito and Tarantula and all that kind of like good like like, yeah. I- like Hispanic rock. Yeah, so yeah, Los Lobos. Los they're Lobos. Los Lobos. Yeah. And they're all over Desperado. Yeah, yeah. like they're his like no background. Look
1: back, don't look back.
2: Oh man, that's a good movie too. All
0: right, the ultimate question that we asked of every movie. Is this a certified face melter? Absolutely so, not.
1: It's whoa. it's 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 a fantastic wonderful film that I enjoyed watching, but it's not like there's it's not a single like o- overly actiony point to this even when people get shot it's a uh, when they get shot it's it's an individual moment and i was never for a second concerned that christian slater was gonna die like i saw where the round hit him it's i was a, it's in like the same spot that the the dude's dad got hit oh i just mean in the
0: moment not after he shot like i like thought that that's where it was going the first time i saw
1: it uh, again I, I didn't i my recollection of this film as i watched it last night I had no previous knowledge as to if Slater would make it or not. Christian Slater. And as he got shot, I was like, he's going to be fine. It's just not the type of movie.
2: Martin. Um, So I actually think it was a face melter. I told you this when we were watching it. And I think for me to, like, redefine what I think of as face melter. So as – For our listeners, the one pick we've had that's been a unanimous face melter was Hard Target, which is like My Mama took one. And I think it's an that's an alley oop because like it's just hardcore action the whole time. It's insane, it's John Woo, it never stops. So it's like, how can it not be a face melter? This for me was a face melter in that I was like from frame one to the last frame, like dragged along by this movie. And it was a whole package. Again, like you were saying it was like image, it was music, it was sound design, it was the 80s aesthetic. It was a, a film, again, like, I think if you watch a film where it's like, how has it not been part of my life for a lot longer? Like, that's yeah. a face melter. I also think it's kind of film that I can imagine seeing with a crowd and it just being, like, a fucking, like, a riot. Like, not making fun of it, but just enjoying themselves. Um, I'm glad I didn't watch it a little bit. I'm glad I do watch it with you who loves the films. It, like, made me, I was like, I was like, what? Well, this is what this is about. Oh shit. I don't know. I was just, it was the experience like you've said about it unveiling itself to the audience. Like this is what this film is about and slowly watching and saying, Oh, this is what they're going for. And again, just being a badass like eighties, like outlaw movie. I don't know. I think it's face melter for me.
0: Yeah. 100%. It is a face melter. Like it's, um, it, for me, rewired my brain, like, and it rewired my brain at like a late stage of my life because I didn't come to this until I moved to Austin in my early thirties.
1: I meant to ask you that earlier and I forgot. What, yeah. What what age did you? What age were you when you saw this?
0: Thirty or thirty one. Oh, so
1: you saw this in the last six years?
0: Yeah. Like that's the first. I That's what I mean. Is I saw it for the first time on thirty five millimeter in at the Ritz after I moved here. Oh wow. So like. And it just, I. Did you
1: cry in the theater? Yes, 100%. Um, which part did you cry at? The water reveal
0: that we're talking about. Um, the effigy burning, which we didn't really touch on at the end. I feel like that's just an incredibly powerful image. The idea that an icon can be minted and then rejected by the very audience that embraced it at first. That's like, that's really powerful stuff. Yeah, Like, I think this movie works. Beyond just a pure visceral enjoyment, it works on such a deep intellectual level once you start unfolding it and what it means in your brain that it just It's like Martin said at at, however old I was 30, 31 or whatever, when I first saw this, it was a total like, where has this been all my life moment? Like I just I I couldn't believe it. And then I watched it 20 more times. Like when I worked at Vulcan, I would just put it on in the background and just let it play because that's the other thing is that were your employees ever like again? No, it was just, it was just that one of those movies to where like, it was also to me, it's the epitome of a secret handshake movie because when I had seen it, the only way you could see it was on 35 millimeter. And then there was this janky kind of like Sony on demand disc. And like, we had it at the video store and like,
1: what does that mean?
0: like it was one that like the studio it's a DVD would print. Or it's a no, it's a DVD. Okay. It would be one that the studio would like print when you ordered it. They didn't have back stock.
1: Gotcha.
2: Okay. Um, Not a special edition of any kind.
0: Yeah, like it didn't. There were no special features. Nothing. Like it was just. It barely has a menu.
1: I did a Google search for like the the deleted dance number from this and Google was like nah I got nothing. Yeah it
0: doesn't like it doesn't exist. It This movie barely had an audience at the time but this was the epitome of a secret handshake movie to me because like when I would say hey have you ever seen The Legend of Billie Jean to a customer, to a friend, to like another like employee if they said yes it, it wasn't just like yeah I've seen it it was like yeah dude I've seen The Legend of Bi- Billie Jean. That movie fucking rules and then it just sparked Everything, like, we've just talked about this movie, tangents included, obviously, for two hours. And I could talk about it for, like, 20 more because it just, you don't... This isn't a movie that you watch. It's a movie that you just let wash over you and it completely transforms the way that you not only see, like, movies itself, but that you think about art and voices and the and the way that, you know... Things resonate with you and what that means and how it reverberates out through pop culture itself. So, yeah, that's the definition of a face melter. Like, sorry.
1: No, 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 apologize. You take it to a whole different level than I did, and I'm not sorry for hearing it. But
0: I guess it's not certified because Cody dissented.
2: We'll always know in our hearts.
0: We'll always know in our (laughs) hearts that Billie Jean is the asterisk of this show. It is a certified face melter. It's like the stolen Al Gore election.
1: <laughs>
0: and Cody is George W. Bush. No, if he's it was, he's Florida. I was going to say if it was, a, <laughs> was say, if a stolen election, I would be Florida or the Supreme
1: Court that ruled what the decision of the people was. You're hanging Chad via the Electoral yeah. College via you know, hanging right. Chad
0: is like the best word for you now.
1: Also, get rid of the Electoral College.
0: All right so agreed. that wraps up spine number seven 1985's legend of billy jean next week we have a real fucking crazy one do we want to tell them cody it's your pick or are we going to hold back it's a piece of japanese cinema
1: i think we should tell them because i mean it's
0: it's battle royale it's we're going to do amazing. battle royale like oh my god can we just vote on its face melter status now It's a fucking face melter. Yeah, like...
2: I'm going to hold out my vote. It's
0: not a face melter, it's a face slicer. Yeah, but you know what? Now, since you shot this one down, I think Martin's going to take revenge on you next week.
1: But you know what? You guys are going to have to tune in. What are you, a politician now? You're going to shoot down my bill? No, I'm going to say... Let's
2: keep keep the audience waiting to find out if it's certified. He has the hair of a politician. sure
0: does. It's very sexual. In the 1930s. All right. (laughs) Next week, Battle Royale. See you then for a secret handshake.